2: All right, everyone. What's going on? How you doing? What's up? Welcome to the future award-winning Talk of Buffalo podcast. I'm your host, Patrick Moran. Big thank you to everyone out there, as always, for continuing to listen, download, support the show. It means a lot to me. Coming up in just a couple of minutes, I'm going to have Buffalo Bills beat writer, Jay Skursky, from the Buffalo News, quite obviously... We're going to have a ton to talk about. I'll get to Jay in just a couple minutes. Hope you guys had a good weekend. I did. Had a good weekend. Little St. Patrick's Day fun in the sun. Down here in Florida last Saturday. It was a good time. Sunday night, I did a live show on YouTube. Not something I do often. In fact, not something I've actually ever done really before. Uh, I, I did... The Overreaction Sports Podcast. I did a taping with Joe Miller. Joe's with Buffalo Rumblings now. And what he's doing, in fact, I was his first guest ever for doing this, is he is taping his show live on social media on Sunday night. You know, YouTube, Facebook Live, Periscope, all that stuff. And that's a video. And then he's dropping it the next morning, audio style, for his weekly Overreaction Sports Podcast. And I'll tell you what, man. It was fun. I had a lot of fun. But... I got to miss something, you guys. I was a little nervous, man. A little nervous. Haven't really done video stuff before. Not much at all. In fact, I never did anything quite like I did with Joe last Sunday night. And it's not that I don't want to. I just simply, I don't have the gear for it right now. It's not something I've invested in yet. I mean, I'll tell you what. Watching myself back on Video, live, Sunday, that re, that reaffirmed that for me for sure, man. I got to get my ass a, a real camera. I have a laptop, webcam, and it's not good. All right, folks? It ain't good. Uh, so I got to get a real camera, and I got to get some actual lighting. Everyone who does video, whether it's podcasting or just makes YouTube videos, everybody knows this. Lighting is probably more important than anything else, including the camera. And I got an overhead light on the ceiling of, of the bedroom that I have my little podcast studio and the lighting sucks. It's great for audio, it's good for this, but being on a live show on YouTube and stuff like that, not so good. So I I got to get some gear. But again, it was fun and I had a great time. Joe Miller is an awesome host, man. He's got that dude. He's got that killer voice. I, I'm insanely jealous of it. Most podcasters are. It's a gift. You either you're born with it, you have it, or you don't have it. I don't have it. Most podcasters, most radio people don't, but Joe Miller uh, definitely does. Really good time. Anyway, that podcast is out now. Audio form. Go check it out. Overreaction Sports Podcast. That dropped on Monday. Buffalo Rumblings Podcast Network. Apple, Spotify, all those. You can find it uh, wherever. So, I had a good time. A little embarrassing looking back, but it is what it is. You know, speaking of embarrassing, what a perfect segue. Before I get to Jay, I just want to spend a minute or two talking about the Buffalo Sabres. I mean... Good God, dude. How bad is this hockey team? How forget bad. How embarrassing is this hockey team? It's one thing to be bad, it's another thing to be embarrassing. Which, by the way, yo, any of you want to go to the Sabres game Saturday? The plane of Boston Bruins. Because guess what? There are still tickets available for this game. I can't believe it. Can't believe it. They can't sell two thousand tickets for a hockey game when fans have literally went more than a year without being able to get into arena and watch an NHL game. 1,970 tickets, 10% of their capacity, went on sale. Season ticket holders get first dibs. Didn't even come close to buying them up. And now, late into Monday, last I heard, they still got like almost 500 seats left. Almost 25% of their capacity, which is only 10% to begin with. They can't even sell them. That is the epitome of embarrassing, embarrassing. I don't care what it costs. I don't care if it costs $1,000. If you would have said a year ago, you're going to go a year, you can't go to the arena and watch a game. That next year comes around, you would have paid any price, any price to go to the game. But this team, again, it's embarrassing. I've never been, I'm embarrassed to be a Sabres fan right now. And you know what I've never been? I've never been embarrassed to be a Buffalo Bills fan. And a lot of those teams have sucked. Look, I'm not naive. I haven't gotten spoiled because the Bills have been good for the past few years. I remember very well 17 years without a playoff game. I also remember being young in the early to mid-80s when the Bills sucked. Back-to-back 2 and 14 seasons. I was a young kid at that point, not even a teenager yet, but I remember that. But you know what I was? Never embarrassed to be a fan. Never. I've never been embarrassed in my life. To walk around in Bills gear. Whether it's in Buffalo. Whether it's repping the Bills down here in Florida. Or any city I've ever visited or been to. Doesn't matter. I don't care if I'm in Walmart. I don't care if I'm in Target. Kmart. Publix. Wegmans. Tops. A pizza joint. You name it. I wear my Bills gear and I wear it proud. Even when the team sucks. You know why? Because they're not embarrassing. I've never been embarrassed to be a a Buffalo Bills fan. The Buffalo Sabres are a excuse my language, a fucking complete train wreck and a total embarrassment right now. I'm going to be honest with you. I don't want to be caught dead in a Sabres t-shirt or a Buffalo Sabres ball cap right now. I might have some shit in my dresser. I don't even know. If I got any Sabres shit, is buried, though. I'll tell you that. I mean, the numbers speak for themselves. Going into Monday night, at least anyway, because I'm taping this intro before they play Washington. <laughs> That's probably going to go great. But anyway, they're winless in 10 games, dead ass last in the entire NHL, in the standings. People hate most of the players. Everyone, including me, hates the coach. Well, everyone except Terry Bagula, apparently. I mean, think about it. You could probably count on less than one hand the bright spots this season. Dylan Cousins, sure. Bryson has some potential. I like him. Will Borgen looked good for a couple games before he got hurt. Jake McCabe, I don't know, he played well and then he got hurt. (laughs) See the theme here? I don't know, man. It's just, I can't get over the fact that they can't even sell fucking less than 2,000 seats for a game. I mean, man, times have changed and these fans deserve a lot better. And I'm pissed. Obviously you can tell I'm pissed off. I'm over it. I'm sick of it. You know, there was a time it might seem like a lifetime ago, but it wasn't. What, 12, 15 years at the most? Buffalo Sabres fans would have committed like literal felonies to get their hands on some tickets, especially if there's only gonna be a couple thousand or even available. And again, I'm taping this shortly before they play Washington on Monday night. And who knows? Maybe they win. Maybe they, everything falls into place and they beat the Capitals. Who knows? Maybe they look impressive doing it. But you know what? It's not going to change the fact that this organization is just completely fucking embarrassing. It is. I'm ashamed. I'm ashamed to be a Buffalo Sabres fan. And it's sad. Fortunately, though, definitely not the case with the Buffalo Bills. Which, what a week, by the way. I mean, goddamn. I didn't see this coming leading up to the start of the legal tamper period. I, I didn't see any of this coming. Matt Milano, Daryl Williams, John Feliciano, not one, not two, all three of them all resign, and they don't even get the free agency. They don't even test the market. That's what happens when you build a program. Good players are going to want to be part of a winning program. They love it here. They love playing here. Those are, we hear it all the time and we've heard it our entire lives. When players are in Buffalo, they always say they love being a part of the community. They love being part of the team. But some of these guys can't get out of here fast enough. Ain't the case with this team, man. Their actions are louder than their words. It's awesome. Anyway, again, I got Jay Skursky to Buffalo News. He's getting ready to hop out with me right now. We're going to talk about an eventful past week. Again, one of us, or one, I should say, that I don't think many of us expected at all. I certainly didn't. All three resigned. <laughs> I'll get his thoughts on that. Milano, Williams, Feliciano all back. Everything else is going on with the Bills. We'll take a look around the league. The New England Patriots are trying to get back in the AFC East in the first half of the first afternoon on Monday, legal tampering. That's exciting. So much more, man. Jay is one of my favorite Bills writers. He's always a good chat. So let's just get the ball rolling right now. Here it is, my conversation with Buffalo News, Buffalo Bills beat reporter, Jay Skursky. All right, I am joined right now by Buffalo Bills beat writer for the Buffalo News, good friend of mine, Jay Skersky. What's going on, Jay? How you doing?
3: Hey, well, we were just talking before we started, and uh, we each have the Sabres game on in the background, so I mean, I guess we've both been better, but other than that, I'm doing well. How are you? (laughs) I
2: I was good until you brought that up. Uh, Listen, (laughs) so you're a, a Bills reporter, but you're also a Western New York born and raised native, and- Obviously, you care about the Buffalo Sabres, and I got some, like, question, you know, some typical small talk, like, things that we do. Obviously, we're going to talk some Buffalo Bills, some NFL. It's day one of tampering, or I should say night one at this point. We're taping this pretty late in the Monday night. We'll get to that, but I got to start with the Sabres. I mean, Jesus, Jay, I mean, I, I don't, <laughs> I'm at a loss right now. So, we're watching this game as we're taping. It's into the third period, and it's 5 nothing. 5 nothing, and they look like they, dude, I'm trying to keep my composure here. Jay, they look like they don't care. I've never seen a team in, in the history of the Buffalo Sabres, going back to the tanking years, where they looked less interested than what I've been seeing for the majority of these last. This is going to be, what, 11 straight losses now. They're dead last in the NHL. And it's not even the losses, Jay. It's that they're not fun to watch. They're boring no entertainment value whatsoever. And it's just, there's no heart, man. There's no, there's no fight. There's no, there's no nothing. They just are going through the motions. I mean, I'm looking at Rasmus Staline tonight. I don't know if you saw two of the plays, but I, I tweeted about this. I said, in less than three years, this guy's went from being a potential generational talent to essentially he's Mike Weber right now.
3: I mean, it's, <laughs> it is,
2: what do you do about it? Like, we, it's easy for us to say in the media, while well, you in the media, us fans get rid of the coach. That's just usually sometimes at least that's the easy way out. But how do you come back from this? How did they not get rid of this coach after a game like tonight?
3: Well, I, I, first of all, let's start at the beginning. It's six, nothing now. Okay. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, just... while we were getting ready to start Ovechkin uh, scores, uh, I think he's sixth all time now in goals. So we at least saw a little history tonight, but no, I mean, where do you start? You're right. I uh, let me start at the beginning, right, of my Sabres fandom because I, growing up, uh, I grew up in Lewiston. I was a Sabres fan way before I was a Bills fan. I, you know, I followed the Bills. Like I, I knew what they were doing. You know, watched the the Super Bowl years were probably, you know, wide right was probably my first Bills memory. But I, I absolutely would consider myself much more of a Sabres fan growing up than a Bills fan. And that was just the sport. I just I, I took the hockey. I mean, I remember when Lindy Ruff played for the Sabres before he coached the Sabres. I you know, Alexander McGillney to this day is my answer for who my favorite athlete growing up was, probably my favorite athlete of all time. I mean, he is what really, you know, made me fall in love with with watching hockey and and you know, the 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 line with Patrick Lafontaine and just you know what what they did um in terms of making me a hockey fan. So yeah, to say yes, I work at the Buffalo News, right? And uh, part of following the team is, you know, professional, but this is personal for me. I mean, I, you know, I, I have loved this franchise for as, as long as I can remember. And, you know, I've passed that down to my son, you know, poor him, you know, who's uh, just turned seven and he loves the Sabres. And, and you know, he's at the point now where this past weekend, you know, the Sabres games were on. And before it was, I want to watch the games. And now it was, oh, yeah, the Sabres are on. And that to me is scary. That is worrisome about what this franchise is doing to its fan base. I mean, they are actively turning their most diehard fans. And I mean, a seven-year-old kid who doesn't know any better knows that he doesn't want to watch this team anymore because of what you said, how boring they are and just how awful it is, how predictable it is. And yeah, they've they've got problems from top to bottom. Uh, And that to me is the biggest one though, is just the apathy and and the disdain, quite frankly, I mean, I can't think of a of a team. And you know, you're you, uh, I'll age you. You're a little bit older than me. Can you remember a team in Buffalo sports, not just the Sabres, that was openly as loathed as this one? I never. mean, the tank, you know, never, right? I never. mean, you, you you go back to the tank years, and at least <laughs> there was a rooting interest in the games. And no matter what side of the tank you fell on. The games were intriguing for some reason. I mean, these games are the absolute opposite. And I mean, th- this this team is actively despised by its fan base. And you know, you said, where do you start? Well, obviously the coach I- isn't the answer. We all know that. I mean, the guy's a dead man walking. I don't know what they're waiting for, but the issue to me is the the lack of compete, the quit in this team, it goes beyond just the coach. I mean, they've got to get rid of of a, a huge portion of this roster. And then that leads me to, you have a general manager who was running Harbor center a year ago. I mean, what qualifications does Kevin Adams have to rebuild this team? Why would anyone trust him to make the type of trades and the type of transactions that you have to make? I, I mean, I, I'm just at a loss as to what the Pagulas are doing with this team. Uh, clearly, it hasn't worked, and the worst part about this is that there's no reason to think that it is going to work because they don't have the right leadership structure in place. We know they don't have the right coach. We know they don't have the right players, but I, I'm concerned that they don't have the people in place to get them out of this.
2: Yeah, I mean, when you look at the, the numbers, them in itself is enough to play, get the coach fired to start. I mean, they are o 0-9, nine 0-9-2 now in their last 11 214 and 2 in their last 18, and Ralph Kruger, 723 and 4 over his last 34 games. That's despicable. And going back to those tank teams, Jay, there was a difference. Back then, the deck was stacked against that team. That was management tanking the roster, getting rid of good players, but they competed every night. They're, they weren't good enough to win, but those guys that were out there wanted to win. They competed. I think they did anyway. Again, if a player was playing too well, they got rid of him. You know what I mean? <laughs>
0: right. Or
2: whatever, he get hurt, whatever have you. So I think the the organization was tanking, but the players, I think for the most part, were hungry to win. Um, this team doesn't look hungry to win. They don't look interested in playing hockey. It's scary. And I mean, you hit on it perfect. It's I'm a knee-jerk reactor or a knee-jerk reactor man. I overreact to freaking everything, dude. But I'm looking at Twitter and to some extent, Facebook friends of mine or people that I know that are like the most optimistic Savers fans ever to the point that it actually annoys me that they're still optimistic about this team. They're jumping off now. They're done. They can't take it anymore. It's got to start with the coach. I mean, it, by no means is that it though. It's, it's much deeper than just Ralph Kruger, but they got to do something. And I, when I say something, I'm not talking about it at the end of the year. I'm talking about like we're taping this Monday night and people will be listening to this on Tuesday morning. They should be listening to a podcast and simultaneously Ralph Kruger is getting fired. I don't see how you can, how do you bring him back out there for the next game when you've lost 11 in a row and you just lost at home six to nothing, man. It's just embarrassing. It's
3: embarrassing. I mean, he shouldn't be doing the post-game press conference tonight. I mean, you're absolutely right. But Again, you know, you you just sort of wonder
0: wh-
3: who, what, what is being done over there? What are they listening to? Whether that's Terry and Kim Pagula, whether that's Kevin Adams, uh, what are they waiting for? You know, there's, there just is no good answers coming out of it. But you're you're absolutely right. If only to show the fans that hey, we know you're out there. Which, uh, however many of you are left, we hear you. We know that this has to get better. You know, it's interesting. We're, we're a few days away here from them having fans uh, or, I guess, you know, being allowed into the into yeah. uh, the yeah. arena. That has the potential to be really, really embarrassing for this franchise. And, and again, I mean, you know, th- this this coming from a team that has sort of found new ways to embarrass itself here over the last decade and, and sort of new depths to, to sink to. But what is that going to look like this weekend? I, I mean – I, you know, I'm quite frankly surprised that they didn't find a way to just remain with no fans the rest of the season because I have a feeling it's going to go very, very poorly for them. Now, you can make the case that uh, whoever you know is spending the money to actually be there is about the most diehard fan you could you could ever come across. and, and maybe it won't, you know, completely fall flat on its uh, on its face for them. but, I I don't know. I mean, I just think, you know, the maximum number was 1900 people or something like that. Are they even going to draw that many? If they do, what is going to be the reaction if they go out and have another game like they had tonight, a six, nothing loss again, it's just really, really bad. And, and, and the worst part of it is, is I just don't know where there's light at the end of the tunnel. I just don't know what you can point to and say, you know, even if it were the draft, right. If it were the uh, McDavid Eichel, draft where you can be like, oh, okay, well, at least we're going to get this great player. I mean, the the consensus number one pick in the draft, which they may not even get, sounds like a defenseman. Who's that going to excite? Um, they've got a lot of work to do to, to win fans back. It starts with firing the coach, but it goes so much deeper than that.
0: Yeah,
2: it definitely does. And I think personally, and I kind of hit on this a little bit when I did my intro earlier, to me, the most embarrassing part of this season isn't even, well, maybe it is tonight now after after watching this game tonight but aside from that you you hit on it man 1970 seats are available they went out to season ticket holders for first dibs only a handful of 100 of them bought them i've heard as of at least later in the monday that they still had like 500 tickets available so almost 25% of these seats are still unsold for a team that fans have not been able to see play live in literally over a year that to me is as embarrassing as it gets. And let me ask you one more question and then we'll move on from the Sabres. I'll get my little therapy session out of the way here with Jay Skirsky. (laughs) But I'm asking you this, even though you're a reporter, I'm asking you this more as a fan because obviously you cover the bills. Maybe if I had Mike Harrington or, or Lance on, maybe they would have a little more insight. Kevin Adams said that he had the authority to fire Ralph Kruger. as a fan or maybe, you know, a little bit more than someone else does. Do you believe that? Because I, I just can't see, again, I mean, you take the totality of everything, but then tonight, specifically Monday night, if he's truly got that power, I just don't see how we can let this go another day.
3: Yeah, it's a great question. I, I, yeah, I, I would say that I, I do think that he does. I mean, I don't know why he would say if he didn't. And, and if he didn't, if he had any sort of self-respect or pride whatsoever, he would hand in his resignation letter the second that he went to the to ownership and said, hey- we've got to fire this guy. And if they said no, then why is he there? Right. Uh, I mean that, that to me, I mean, you would hope that it's not just a cash a paycheck, right? Because if he truly does have that power, then he needs to exercise it. And if he's not exercising it, he needs to start making some trades. I, I think it's, I think it's long past that though, for Kevin Adams. I mean, he has lost this fan base when it's, when it comes to this coach, rightfully. So there's no way that you can bring him back. I think, you know, whether you want to have him in place just to this slog, this death march, the rest of the season, fine. But we know that Ralph Kruger is not going to be long-term the coach for this team, and maybe he's waiting to see who comes available after this season. Uh, but even if that were the case, you've got to make the move now. And I and I know you know in talking with Lance, who, who covers the team and does such a great job for us, yeah. that there doesn't seem like there's a, a real good answer for who the interim coach would be, but. I don't even care at this point. If you're go coach yourself, Kevin Adams, be coach GM, do something, right? Like I said, go back to show the fans that you, that you have a pulse and that you understand their frustration. Um, but I, yeah, I mean, yeah, again, yeah, Mike Lance probably would would know the answer to that question a little bit better. But I do think he has the the power to do that because if he doesn't, what's he doing? Being employed as the general manager of this team. Uh, again, if if he were to suggest that that Ralph Krueger should be fired, and ownership, for whatever reason, told him no, then he should be the guy that's leaving with his pride intact. And you know, you can cash those checks or whatever. But yeah, some, something's got to happen though. If if that were the case, and and I would hope that he would come out and say, yeah, I recommended that he got fired, that that he be fired, and ownership said no. And as a result, I'm no the, I'm no longer the GM of this team.
2: Yeah, I completely agree. <laughs> something's gotta be done, man. That, that's all I know. And, and look, I've bored the audience enough with Sabres talk here. <laughs> Not bored. I'm enraged though, Jay. It, it's just so frustrating. Yeah. But anyway, I, w- I wanna move on from that. Let me ask you this. This is normally what I would have asked you as soon as I welcomed you onto the show. How are things? Because again, last time I had you on was last June. We did a State of the Bills. It was a two-parter. It was a lot of fun, by the way. But at that time, COVID was obviously a thing, but we didn't know like how long that was going to last. And it was still, I would say relatively new in our lives in terms of, you know, having to make changes in our, in our lifestyle and profession. So I wanted to ask you that because both you and your wife, Melissa are both in the media business. Like how big of the adjustments been for you over this past year or so personally and professionally, I should say too, uh, when it comes to COVID, like the way you cover the team and, uh, also, you know, with Melissa, like I said, she works at a TV station. I know she's had to do a lot of things differently too over this last year. Or so I'll try. And has it been for you guys?
3: Yeah. I mean, it's definitely been, uh, you know, not unlike, you know, pretty much everybody out there. We've all been impacted by it. I, you know, I will say that we've certainly been, uh, fortunate, uh, in the jobs that, that we're in respectively, that, uh, we're still able to, to, to do our jobs. And, uh, for Melissa first, uh, she has, you know, continued to go in into the station at, at WGRZ. She's been really only one of the the very few. They've right. they've started to bring some people back into the station uh, more and more here uh, very recently. But throughout, she had been going in to the point where she might be one of only two or three or four people in the entire building for for quite a while. So uh, from that, you know, from that perspective, her her job has not changed drastically. Uh, she's, she, do, she does do uh, quite a bit more work from home in terms of like stories that that she'll work on uh, after she anchors the news and things like that. So that, that's that been a change uh, and an adjustment for her. And then, you know, and then for myself, um, you know, I, I'm used to working from home uh, quite a bit as it is or uh, from working out in, in Orchard Park, you know, out, out at, at One Bill's Drive. They, they've got a nice media room for us there. Uh, we didn't step foot into that though at all this season from, you know, from the start of the training camp all the way through the AFC championship game. So I did go out to Orchard Park, but it was really just to watch practice. Uh, we, we never even stepped foot inside of a building other than I think maybe twice or three times uh, as one of the, uh, a, a few select media members who had been uh, doing daily COVID testing for when they moved inside to practice um, they they had a a little bit of a media uh, access period that that myself and a a few others were able to attend. And that was, like I said, I think that maybe was only three times for the, so for the most part, I was uh, my trips to Orchard Park were limited to 15 minutes uh, of outdoor practices. And then I did the home games Uh, did not travel at all this season outside of the AFC championship game. We did decide to, to travel to that game. Uh, But that was the only game I did on the road. Uh, obviously, as you know, I'm sure you know most of your listeners are, are, are big Bills fans. They've probably seen all the press conferences were done via Zoom, uh, so there has been no, you know, person to person interaction with any of the players, any of the coaching staff, uh, dating back to the combine last year. So now it's more than a year. the uh, The combine uh, was the last time that we were in front of Brandon Bean and, and in front of Sean McDermott. So. Uh, in some sense, it, it, it's gone by pretty quickly. But I think for most people, uh, you know, most would agree that this year has been a drag. It's been an absolute drag, and you know, hopefully, there's some light at the end of the tunnel here. And and, and you know, I don't anticipate spring or the draft really being all that much different in terms of uh, availability and um, what we may see. Um, I'm hoping by training camp that that there'll be some sense of norm- normalcy to what we do, uh, whether that's interviewing players in person, you know, being at practice, uh, whether it's at St. John Fisher or if it's still in Orchard Park. Um, so, you know, that's the hope, though. I, I think, you know, I speak for, for everyone when I say we're, we've made it through it. And uh, we're, we're, <laughs> we're just hopeful that, that the finish line is in sight here and, and things get back to uh, a lot more sense of normal uh, really, really soon.
2: And I'm sure you obviously share the sentiments that given everything that's happened in this country and this world over the last year, you know, considering over, well over a half million people have died from COVID, just having your health and being able to live, let alone still be able to do your job in itself is a blessing. But that said, covering the team full time for a living, how difficult is it having to rely on primarily Zoom pressers where you're probably used to asking you know, whatever story, whatever angle you're approaching, you can ask an unlimited amount of questions or you might talk to one player and then you want to talk to a couple of his teammates to get some other perspective, you know, to put in a story. It had to be a lot more harder to be able to do this year when you're doing these zoom pressers where maybe you get two questions for a lot of them. Like, did that make the job like much harder for you to be able to do?
3: Yeah, it's a great point, and and absolutely, it did. It really uh, altered uh, the type of stories that we can do. A, a good example uh, toward the end of the the twenty nineteen season, I did a story about the uh, the jersey swap that you see so frequently, or you used to see, I guess I should say, so frequently at the end of the game, uh, where you know uh, whoever Josh Allen will give his jersey to Sam Darnold from the Jets or something like that. So. I wanted to do a story just about you know how that's become a tradition in the NFL and talk to some of the guys in the locker room about like who they've swapped jerseys with, why it was important to them, the meaning behind uh, some of the jerseys that they've gotten. And it was pretty cool. it was it ended up being a really fun story. i you know, I learned a lot from it. i i I liked it. It was one of my favorite stories that I had written. But I must have talked to probably twelve or thirteen guys in the locker room. And that's the type of thing that you just can't do anymore. You you just were not able to do that type of story last year uh, because there you know we were we could put in requests for players and the Bills. Their PR staff is great. They they do a good job at, at uh, honoring as many of those requests as they can. Sure, but in a normal year. It's easy to just go around the locker room and after practice get 5 or 6 of those interviews done one day, do the next day, get, you know, 3 or 4 more and before you know it you got you've talked to 10 guys. Well, now if I'm putting in a request for one or two guys, that's about all I'm going to be able to get. And so to find those unique angles and those stories that are maybe a little bit off the beaten path Was so much more of a challenge, and it's one of the big, big things that that I miss from being in the locker room. And one of the main reasons why I I hope our access to the locker room isn't forever changed because of this, because I think there's real value in that. And and to your point, you know, whether it's just talking to a guy about a teammate, um, you know, those rare instances where you know, and it's just human nature, right? You know, the conversations. I think uh, are, are much more free flowing when you have them face to face over, you know, in, instead of over Zoom or even over the phone, that kind of thing. So for a lot of different reasons, it, it definitely made, you know, the job more challenging in that regard. And I think it's, I, and it's not just me, I don't, I don't want you know, this to come across as uh, you know, Oh, what was me media guy complaining about his access? I think, it, you know, I think the fan base suffers as a result too, because you, you miss out sure. on some of those kind of neat off the beaten path stories that just were so much more difficult to tell.
2: Yeah, sure. No question about that. Let me ask you one more question and then we'll dive into some bill stuff here. I want, you gotta be honest with me too. Okay. So, You just said that Kansas City was the only game you went to on the road to share the AFC championship game. Obviously, you were going to have to cover that, assuming you were able to go and you were. Aside from that, though, you didn't go on the road as a reporter. Did it suck this year? And again, I got to keep (laughs) saying this because let's look at the grand scheme of things. So I don't want to say, oh, Jay's complaining about this or that. We, We both understand the grand scheme of things. But that said, this is your job. It's, did it did. Are you happy in a way that you didn't go on the road for some games because, I mean, you're a married man, you got a kid, or <laughs> does it really suck not traveling for road games? Because, I mean, the Bills, I mean, let's just uh, put it out there, man. There were some pretty impressive cities this year where the Bills were supposed to be playing between Nashville I mean, Pat, and let's, California let's honest, twice, sure. Vegas.
3: Yeah. <laughs> I mean, let's be honest. I had this road schedule circled about three years ago. Okay, <laughs> so absolutely, it sucked. I mean, come on, are you kidding me? Vegas, Arizona twice, yeah. uh, Denver, uh, Miami. Yeah, I mean, it was. This was the road schedule uh, that you only can dream of, right? So yeah, mm-hmm. I was. I was pumped for the road. Uh, the road schedule this time last year, not thinking. Uh, not having any idea that COVID was was possibly even—I mean, think back to this time last year. There would have been no way I would have said, "Oh yeah, you know, we won't be on the road for the Bills. We will, you know, COVID will still be going on in the regular season." We, we you know, I, I just I, I, maybe I should have been—I don't know—I guess—but uh, I, I didn't wrap my head around that uh, at all at that point last year. So yeah, I was disappointed in that. Ah uh, not being able to travel, you know uh, again, for some of the reasons that I just outlined about what I think you get out of going into the locker room that was part of it selfishly, I'm not gonna lie. wanted to visit some of those cities absolutely. and then I will say though that one of the uh, one of the cool parts about it was getting a chance to watch uh, the games with my son, which I've never really had the opportunity to do that. so right. the, the first road game, I think was actually Miami uh, and it was really kind of kind of crazy it was i'm thinking to myself man i'm i'm sitting here i'm i'm on my couch and i'm watching the game with elliot and the last time i I actually looked it up the last time that i had covered a game uh or i I had not
0: we're driven by the search for better but when it comes to hiring the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all don't search match with indeed indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors according to indeed data
3: and on the road for a game, he was only one year old. Uh, so wow. he, you know, he obviously wasn't watching, uh, you know, he wasn't watching the games back then at that point too. So, So to be able to watch the game with him, kind of talk to him about what I was seeing, you know, a little bit about what I was doing, Uh, or how I do my job was was pretty neat and my wife too you know she's she's a big Bills fan so to be able to watch the games with her on the road instead of texting her about plays you know while I'm at the opposing stadium you know we're just talking about it that uh, as it's happening that that part of it was pretty neat Um, but you know the things that you miss uh, being on the road both personally and professionally I, I certainly think that it was disappointing not being on the road for sure the economy is made up of real people doing real stuff and it affects everything, which you obviously know since you're a real person doing real stuff. Marketplace is here to help you get smart about everything beyond the what of the day's business and economic news. We dig into the how and the why with the real people driving our economy. From big tech and interest rates to small businesses and what's happening at the Fed, Marketplace breaks it all down so you don't have to. Listen to Marketplace wherever you get your podcasts.
2: All right, let's turn our attention to the team that you covered, the Buffalo Bills. So I talked to you, I don't know, roughly a week, maybe a week and a half to to set up this day to have you on the podcast. I said, all right, I got to get Jay on. It's night one of the legal tampering period. The one thing I don't think that I expected to talk to you about was commenting on the Bills, re-signing Darrell Williams, Matt Milano, and John Feliciano. All three of those guys got done. None of them even hit the market. What's your level of surprise right now that first and foremost, like I said, that the Bills signed any one of these three guys, let alone all three of them, without any of them testing the market, especially with Matt Milano, because I mean, Brandon Bean talked about it a couple of times since the season ended that he had earned the right to test free agency. And it kind of, I don't want to say it was a foregone conclusion. He was gone, but it didn't look too promising once he did not get franchise tagged. Uh, So just speak a little bit about your level of surprise and how you feel about all three of these guys being back.
3: Yeah. I mean, I think if it was uh, you know, a scale of one to 10, uh, how surprised I am. I mean, I, I gotta be close to a 10, you know, easy, easy a nine, uh, you know, when you, when you factor in all three of them, maybe, you know, getting one back. Okay. I could see that maybe even two, but uh, you know, if we had, we filmed this or, or, or recorded this, uh, a week ago at this time, there would have been no way, I would say, that they were getting all three back. And to your point, you know, Brandon Bean used the earn the right line with Matt Milano. That's the same thing that he said last year about Shaq Lawson that he had said about Jordan Phillips. And we saw with both of those guys what happened. They they left for uh, for big paydays elsewhere. And And certainly I thought Milano – was going to be in line for a a similar type payday right in that range, maybe even of uh, you know, $10 million average annual value. I know there was a lot of speculation that he might be worth even more than that. And, you know, you look at some comparable contracts, you know, Shaq Thompson down in Carolina being one uh, at the $12 million a year mark. And for Brandon Bean to get him not only just re-signed, but to get him at the cap hit that he's got him at in 2021 is just a, I I think it says a couple of different things. Number one, it's a great job, not just by Brandon Bean, too, but by the guys that he's got in his front office working around him. Kevin Megank, a guy maybe not any Bills fans have have even really heard of, but does a lot of work with uh, contracts and the salary cap. Uh, Sort of a behind-the-scenes guy. He he should get some credit here, too. But uh, in the larger sense, what what it says to me is that the, it's not just lip service when Matt Milano tells his agent, "Hey, I want to get something done with the Bills. We've got unfinished business there. I want to be there." And we talked about it tonight on uh, our, our show on Channel Two with uh, with Adam Benini and, and Vic Carucci and myself. The just the absolute sea change that there's been in terms of free agency for this franchise. You, you know, you think back to five, ten years ago. Uh, going back to the days of uh, landing Terrell Owens or uh, Mario Williams in the, the hope right that this this guy would be the silver bullet and fix everything that's wrong with the franchise and uh, or you've got to pay the guy more than he's going to get anywhere else to come to Buffalo. That's all gone now. I mean, the Bills can sell themselves as a winning franchise with a young quarterback who's ready to take the next step and guys that have been here like Matt Milano, like Daryl Williams, like John Feliciano, they know, right? They know what it's like to play in Buffalo. They're not worried about, Oh, it's Buffalo. It's small market. It snows a lot. They're not, none of that matters to them. They've been here. And I, I, it's something I've said about Buffalo for a long time. If you know, you know, right. And there, there's that big mural downtown that says keep Buffalo a secret. Well, I think it is a secret for for guys in the NFL until they get here. Yeah. And then they realize that they love it here, right? I mean, yeah. Stefan Diggs might be the best example of that. This guy is a superstar in the NFL. And what's the what what was one of the first questions that was asked after he was traded here? Oh, you know, is he gonna be happy coming to Buffalo? You know, small market. You know, is he gonna is he gonna like playing there? Is it going to be, is it gonna meet his needs? Well, I think if you ask Stefan Diggs today, there isn't another market that he'd want to play in. And that to me speaks to the front office and let's give Terry and Kim Pagula some credit here too. I know we, you know, with with the way things are going with our other franchise here in town, that maybe they don't always get some credit, but they have built something in Buffalo uh, with the bills that has been special and fans, I think get some credit here too. I mean, you, you talk to these players, they absolutely adore playing for this fan base. And, you know, you see it in the playoff games, only 6,700 people, but they were loud. And they, you know, it, it, to be a Bills fan, I, I think they've taken some pride in making this a place that players want to play. So there is a long list of reasons why free agents either want to stay here or maybe we'll see here in the coming days want to come here. And it's not just about money anymore, which you know, ultimately that is going to be probably the, the number one factor for any free agent. But the bills have a lot of other things working in their favor, where if all things are equal and the money's close, hey, I am going to go to Buffalo. And boy, oh boy, it didn't used to be that way for a long, long time.
2: Yeah, I mean, you go back just even a handful of years ago, like say during the Rex Ryan era and many, many regimes before that, there were two ways a free agent was coming to Buffalo. A, the Bills were going to overpay him significantly more than anyone else. Kind of like, say, Jacksonville would have to do right now to, to attract someone, although maybe that's not fair because Trevor Lawrence is coming there. But you get the point. You were going yeah. there if if the Bills overpaid you or if no one else really wanted you, if you were basically a cast-off. And this is where you could come to kind of re-kick your career, jumpstart your career again, you know? And that's uh those were the scenarios where People would come to Buffalo. No one came to Buffalo because they thought they had a chance to win, or because the culture was great and the, you know, the team was good and had had a chance to compete for titles. So that's definitely a a, a pleasant change for sure. When it comes to Milano, the sense that I got on basically Twitter is it was kind of like a 50 50. I think people wanted him, but I think, including myself, to be honest with you, that I kind of resigned myself, like I said, to him testing the market and going to get that bag, like they like to say. Somewhere else, Um, I don't think there's any question that the defense is better with Matt Milano than when he's not in the lineup. We saw that last year. It was night and day differences. As far as I'm concerned, that Chiefs game aside, which nobody played good in that Kansas City game, wasn't just him. But I want to talk to you about the offensive line here, Jay, because this to me is a little more fascinating. The Bills, the offense was explosive. They won 13 games. Josh Allen had an MVP caliber season. They threw the ball with a lot of success. They did not run the ball very effectively. Brandon Bean said at, during his um, season-ending press conference, the Bills don't necessarily need to run the ball more. They just need to run it better. So the offensive line has been a big question over these last couple months. And you have three-fifths of that offensive line where I think their futures were a little bit in flux. I'm talking about Williams and Feliciano and also Mitch Morse. There are a lot of rumors or suggestions that he might end up getting cut to save some cap money. Anyway, long story short, Mitch Morse takes a, 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 I don't want to say a small, but he took a moderate pay cut to stay here this year, restructures deal, move some money around, whatever. They re-signed Darrell Williams and they re-signed John Feliciano. So where do you stand with this offensive line right now? Obviously the Bills feel comfortable. These are all multi-year deals. And with Cody Ford, hopefully back healthy at left guard, Feliciano's definitely playing right guard. I mean, you got all five of your guys back now. This line didn't play together as a unit. I don't think that these five guys played a snap together all season at the same time last year. How do you feel about this offensive line? And in terms of running the football, do you think it's more, is it a scheme issue? Is it these guys, these five guys up front? Is it the running backs? Like, what do they need to do, in your opinion, to be able to run the football more effectively?
3: Yeah, well, I, I hate to middle the answer, but I'm going to give you the the classic, it's all of the above, right? I, I think that uh, Brian Dayball would be the first to tell you he's got to do a better job scheming up the run game. I think that uh, the offensive line has got to do a better job executing. There were far too many times where the the running back was was contacted either at or behind the line of scrimmage and sort of left to, to try to fight for whatever he could get on his own. And then I think that the running backs, um, you know, whether it be Devin Singletary or Zach Moss, whoever ends up uh you know leading the way or or whether it is like a sort of a, a true timeshare situation between those those two guys i think they have to be better too so i think it's across the board i i will tell you that i, I know that uh the amount of time that they spent practicing the run game last year um w- w- was maybe not sufficient uh in in my mind and and i think in in some of uh the offensive linemen's mind uh, as well um I think that that is certainly an issue. Now, you, when you look at the results of the passing game, it, it kind of you can kind of see why that is, right? I mean, they threw the ball almost as well as any other team in the NFL, and and by several measures, maybe as uh, as well as any team in the NFL. Um, that being said, though, you know, so people listening might say, "Well, why are they harping on the run game?" I mean, they finished number two in in offense in in scoring offense, and and I get that, but. You know, if you look at that Kansas City game, when things aren't working for Josh Allen in the passing game, it would be nice if you had some semblance of a running game to lean on and they just didn't have it. So however they go about fixing that, whether it is through, uh, you know, new players, uh, certainly on on the offensive line, it doesn't look like that's going to be the way that they go about it. Because, you know, if Cody Ford comes back and is healthy, I expect him to be the starter at left guard. And to your point, that's it. That's your five right there, right? And you know, we, we'll see what they do with Ike Bucker. You know, if he uh, comes back as a restricted free agent, but you're locked in, and you're locked in not just for 21, but you're locked in for 2022 as well. So they've got all five starters. They've got an opportunity here to really build some continuity. And I know that's kind of a buzzword when you talk about the offensive line, but um, and it, it it also is going to start with some guys taking a step forward too, and. That starts with Cody Ford, high second round pick the team traded up for, couldn't really find a position for, finally got him locked in at left guard. He's going to need to be better in year three than he has been his first couple of seasons. Even a guy like Deion Dawkins, who they went out and paid, You know, listen, they're paying him like a top 10 tackle. I'd like to see Deion Dawkins make a Pro Bowl. I, you know, I, I think he's far from the problem on that line, but when you're talking about needing to improve the run game and needing to protect Josh Allen. You need your franchise left tackle. You want him to be a pro bowler. I don't think that's too much to ask. And then you look at the right side and, and at Mitch Morris too. I mean, let's call what happened with Mitch Morris, what it was in the middle of the season, he got benched. Okay. There was, they they thought for that game in Arizona that he was not among their best five offensive linemen. And, And to your point, you know, he takes a pay cut. You're not asking a guy to take a pay cut. If you're totally satisfied with his, with the level of his performance, so Mitch Morris has got to be better. And then on the right side, you know, I think Daryl Williams had a great season for what he was, which was sort of a, a, just an, an absolute home run of a find in free agency. But now the expectation is raised for him right now. He's a nine million dollar a year player. Yeah, it's it's great to be a two and a half million dollar a year player and give them what he gave him. He's going to have to give them that and more as a nine million dollar a year player. And then John Feliciano, lastly on him, you know, I think I think he's a good player. I don't think he's a great player. I think he might be, quite frankly, he's a little bit overrated by some Bills fans, but so be it, right? He's back. He's got a new contract. They love his toughness. Josh Allen loves him. All five of those guys individually and collectively need to be better in 2021 than they were in 2020.
2: Where do you fall with the running backs, Singletary and Moss? Do you think this team is good with them going forward for another year? Because I, a lot of people who will say yes to that will say, They've used third round picks, day two picks in back-to-back years. To that, I say, so what? Use another one this year and the year after that, too, if it's going to make your team better. But anyway, when you see those two guys, are you satisfied with them or not satisfied with them? Are you confident in them two being, whether you want to call them one and two or one A, one B, whatever you want to call it? Or do you think that they might be better served to bring, uh, whether it's a decently quality veteran or... I don't know, man, a day two, hell, maybe even a pick at 30. If Travis Etienne happens to fall or or Najee Harris, the, the, the Bills consider that. Like, where do you think the Bills are at right now when it comes to what they think of the running back position?
3: Yeah, I think I, I think that's a really interesting question. I think maybe really one of the, maybe the most interesting question of the offseason particularly whether you look at where they're drafting in the in the first round and and where running backs are are kind of projected to go in this draft. I think it's, you know, it's maybe a coin flip if there even is one picked in the first round and uh if it's Najee Harris or or ATN from from Clemson, um I think you can build a pretty good case either way. Uh you know, the case for it would be Give this offense playmakers. Who cares where guys were drafted? Um, if it's going to help Josh Allen and if it's going to help the offense be more explosive and match points with a Kansas City, then do it. Right. It doesn't matter if the if you've already got two third round running backs on your roster. If if you think Travis Etienne is going to come in and and be a touchdown machine for you, then you draft him at number thirty. And I I I can listen to that argument. You can also listen. You you can also kind of make the case that. Hey, that's really not ideal asset management if you're going third round, third round, first round for running back. It kind of speaks to missing on on some third round picks. So, right. Uh, part of that is knowing when to cut bait, too, right? You know, you look at a, a draft pick like Zay Jones, who who this, you know, Sean McDermott was here when Zay Jones was picked. It didn't work out, and to their credit, they moved on rather quickly. So, I would be right now. I'd be the I'd be in the camp that if you believe a running back at thirty gives you the best chance to improve your uh, your, your offense and add explosive, explosiveness to it, then I would be for drafting a running back. I don't know what free agency does for me uh, at that position. I think you know it's a young man's position, maybe more so than any in the NFL. Um, the, the one part of free agency that's interesting is that generally the first wave sort of misses running backs, and you can get a guy in week two or week three uh, on a on a bit of a cheaper contract, so I wouldn't be against that either. I, I do think that they're going to move on from TJ Yeldon, who was their third running back. We'll see what happens with Taiwan Jones, who was their fourth running back. So there may be two open roster spots there. Where I'm I'm all for it if it's a first round pick all the way down to a seventh-round pick. And if it is a free agent, I'd prefer that the money stays a little bit lower just because I I, I don't think you're going to submit uh, a, a big contract to a guy when you ha- I, I, I'm And to get back to the beginning of your question, I'm not ready to give up on Devin Singletary and Zach Moss. I don't think they should be either. Uh, Singletary's regression as a sophomore was a little bit troubling to me. I would like to see him make a comeback, but hey let's see let's go to let's go to training camp, and if it's those two and it's an open competition to see who starts the you know starts the season as their as their number one back, I think that the, that could potentially bring out the best in both of them, which would be a good situation for this team to have. so no, I think it's far too early to give up on either of those guys.
2: One thing you said I completely agree with it too, is this or this organization. Isn't afraid to to let go of a player early if it's not working out. Like you talked about Zay James. Uh Quentin Spain signed an extension. Next thing you know, he's bench and then he's cut. So they they will make a move if they feel like it's not um working out. One of them, speaking of cuts, Quentin Jefferson, one and done. I'm not sure that I'm not sure how he was used. I'm not sure how he was supposed to be used. He was just he was just another guy this year. Um not, not, not he wasn't terrible, but you know, nothing spectacular. And that was a pretty considering the cap situation, probably a pretty easy decision. 6.5 million saved with no dead cap. But speak about John Brown, that's what I was getting at here. Saved a lot of money, so it it made economic sense. I feel like John Brown is just a flat out victim of cap economics. I don't think it's a question of they didn't want him here, but you got to sacrifice some players to be able to do some of the things that they've done in terms of keeping their own core. Do you think though that he's as people are making it sound like the guy's so easily replaceable. And I'm not quite convinced of that. And I know Gabriel Davis, name keeps coming up and he does have a lot of talent, but John Brown did a lot, man. He could, he could take off the top. He was a good intermediate route runner. He could take a two yard swing pass and take it 75 yards when healthy, which was a problem last year. But like, what are your thoughts on John Brown and what do you think they might do to replace his production? Or do you think it's just going to be one of those next man up situations with Davis and, Hodgins and maybe McKenzie, if he's back, whoever.
3: Yeah. I, you know, I, I think he'd be a nice player to have you. You'd love to have him, but you weren't going to be able to to squeeze it uh, in, in a year where the cap, you know, it decreased by as much as it did. I mean, it just didn't make sense to pay uh, a guy who, you know, had struggled to stay healthy this past season, uh, nearly an $8 million salary cap hit, you know, the, the production, Ah uh, didn't justify the salary in, in that sense. But I'm with you. You know you you do wonder, you know, is Gabriel Davis's success uh, as a rookie? How much of that, you know, can be attributed to Stefan Diggs and Cole Beasley uh, that you know that opposing defenses had to pay attention to. And you know, with a with an expanded role, uh, is his production going to week in and week out, uh, you know, match that? Because there were games where he, you know, I, I thought, you know, really, really shined. And then there were games where understandably as a rookie, where they were kind of quiet, you know, and now with a lot more on his plate, you know, those games where he's quiet, you know, you're not going to be able to have as many of those, but I I would not be surprised at all. You know, we just talked a a little bit about running back and adding weapons to the offense. I wouldn't be surprised at all if we saw this team as early as day two. I don't think it'll happen in the first round, but as early as day two, if there's a receiver that they like, that they think can, as you mentioned, take the top off the defense because you wonder, where is that true speed threat going to come from right now, right? Because, you know, Davis, a little bit bigger of a receiver, Diggs, Uh, Is certainly fast, but you know, you know, vertical threat is not all that he does. It's not all you want him to do. Um, So, you know, if there's a true speed guy in the second or third round that you think defenses are really going to be afraid of, I mean, look at look at Kansas City, right, with drafting uh, Mikael Hardman in the second round out of Georgia a few years ago, when you already had Tyree Kill and you already had Sammy Watkins. I mean, that's just weapons on weapons on weapons, right? So. I would not be at all surprised if that's the route that the Bills went. And, and to your point, you know, we it, they've already lost Andre Roberts from the receiving core of last year. Isaiah McKenzie, a pending unrestricted free agent. We're going to have to see what happens with him. You can make a case here, a, a, a kind of a sneaky case, that wide receiver's is a little bit of a need for this team even uh, going into the draft. You know, because you do have guys from the practice squad who are going to compete. Jake Kumaro, Duke Williams are, are back. But neither of those are are in that John Brown mold of receiver who primarily wins with his speed. So uh, I, I think that run or excuse me, I think that wide receiver is a position that we should pay kind of close attention to, particularly when it comes to you know scouting those draft prospects. and those guys that are maybe outside the top, you know top top of the first round but are still, Top 100 draft picks, say like second, third round. I I think that that could be a prime position for this team to address. Uh, I'm not surprised though to get back to John Brown that that this move happened. I think it's just a an unfortunate reality of the salary cap in a year where you know everybody says that the cap was reduced by 15 million, but you got to remember it wasn't really reduced by that. It was reduced more by about 27 million because these teams were planning for about a $12 million increase uh, from what it was last year, not a $15 million decrease. So when you factor in that big of a cut, I don't think you can look at John Brown, uh, what he gave the team last year, how old he is at this point in his career, and be surprised that they decided to move on.
2: I want to point out to everyone listening that we're taping this Monday night. It's now after 10 p.m. So I don't want to assume that the night is over. I made that mistake last year. One year ago, almost literally at the exact same time, it was Monday night and it was well after 10 p.m. I was in the middle of taping a podcast when the Stephon Diggs trade went down. And then shortly after that, they picked up Addison too. So something could happen late at night. But as of right now, the Bills haven't signed anyone today. The only thing they've done is um, they gave a one-year extension to Tyler Matekovich, which basically was preventing him from getting cut. They could have saved like $3 million had they cut him, I'm sure that. That extension has something to do with lowering his cap number for this year so he could stick around. Good special teams player. But it would have been tough to justify paying him that much money for this season under the cap. But anyway, before we move on to a couple NFL things, if you were to play devil's advocate right now, it's easy. And again, this organization has earned the trust of fans. So when they make moves, you don't really need or want to second guess them. You want to believe that every move is going to work out. Now, of course, not every move does. But when you look at these moves right now, like especially the three re-signings, if you were playing devil's advocate, is there one or maybe two of those that maybe you don't re-sign? Maybe you let this guy see what he can get and maybe you take that money and spend it somewhere else. And again, that's not to say the bills are done because they very well may not be done. But as of right now, they haven't signed anybody. And uh, are you good with all three of those re-signings?
3: Well, uh, yeah, I'm good. I'm good with all three of the resignings. And and the reason why is because, you know, Sean McDermott at at his end of season press conference was very clear about what his goal for this offseason was. It was to, to run it back. He wanted to bring back as many of his guys as he could. And to see Brandon Bean deliver on that shows that these two guys are in, to borrow a, a Russ Brandon term, they're in lockstep. And I like to see that. I, you know, that is a, the sign of a good working relationship between your head coach and your general manager. Now, I do think that there is a fair question to be asked about now what, right? What's next? Because running it back is great, and for all the great team, you know, all the great things that this Bills team did in 2020, and you know, it, winning the AFC East, ending the the playoff uh, uh, drought without a, a playoff victory. Um, that that's all well and good, but listen, they were outclassed in the AFC Championship game against Kansas City. How are you better today than what you were uh, on January twenty fourth? I don't know that we can can say. Uh, and, and quite frankly, when you you know you look at the release of John Brown, you mentioned Quentin Jefferson, who was a, a, another cap cut, maybe not as big of a factor, but you could you can kind of look at it and say they, they might not be quite as good of a team as they were on January 24th. Now, there's a lot of offseason left and a lot of free agency still to play out. So I'm good with the re-signings uh, on two fronts. Number one, they didn't overpay. Certainly, in, in actually in all three cases, it looks like they might have underpaid some and they got them on favorable uh, contracts, at least for the 21, 2021 season while the cap is going to be what it is. And then number two, That was the stated goal of the head coach. So the general manager is delivering what the head coach wanted to see happen. Now, I think the real work and, and, you know, listen, Brandon Bean's already done some good work here this offseason, but he's got some more ahead of him because you got to get better as a a franchise, as a a team. You've got to, and and listen, the goal for this team is is very simple. It's the Super Bowl, right? That's the next step. You've made it to the AFC championship game. It's How do we get to the Super Bowl? How do we beat the Kansas City Chiefs? How do we beat potentially the Tampa Bay Buccaneers or whoever represents the NFC? How do we become Super Bowl champions? I don't know that we're much closer to knowing that answer in terms of how this team is better, but we do know at least that they've delivered on step one of the offseason, which was to retain as many of their own that they wanted to. And, and they've been able to do that thus far. Still got some, you know, some guys out there that I think, you know, they they're probably going to be interested in re-signing if they can. Uh, b- but again, you know, the 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 second wave of free agency, because I, I'd say we're already past the first wave here really, uh, there's a few big names left out there, but a lot of you know a lot of movement already around the league today. Uh, is going to be big, the second, third wave of free agency, and then the draft. Brandon Bean, and this this going forward is going to be the key, not just for this offseason, but for this franchise. But we're going to run into this situation every year. If this team continues to have success, guys are going to approach free agency, and they're going to get paid. And it's going to happen where the Bills aren't going to keep everyone and the only way to replace them on cost-controlled contact, contracts is through drafting well. So that, that in, the, in, in this offseason is going to be huge for Brandon Bean.
2: Well, there's still, again, we're in night one of a uh, tampering period of free agency. By the time people wake up and this tomorrow and maybe they've listened and they have lunch, the Bills might have filled one or two holes. But yeah, I think they need a pass rusher. I still think they need another one. I agree with you about wide receiver. I think they need to add to that room somebody faster. We haven't even talked about corner. I mean, Levi Wallace is not restricted. It's not known if he's coming back. Josh Norman's probably gone. I mean, you got Trey White and not a lot else. Not at least proven. I like Dane Jackson, but I don't think you should be handing him a starting job in March for the season. So cornerback is a position that I'm sure they're going to look to do something. Um, a veteran tight end maybe to get into the mix, quarterback two. I mean, they got to resign Barkley, or if they don't resign Barkley, figure out what they're going to do with that position. So, yeah, there's still a lot of work to do. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, they got yeah, time, right. but... I mean, that,
3: yeah, yeah, you know, that's a, a pretty lengthy list of needs that you just ran down, right? And, you know, you look at it and you say, the good news is that, you know, the starting positions, how many of those are, are true starters? You, you know, certainly number two cornerback is is on that list but you can get by I think at almost every other position right if you if you went into next season and Dawson Knox was your starting tight end right is it ideal maybe not but you know that he can do the job right he sure. did it this season but yeah there are there are absolutely still positions and and that kind of goes to what I was saying there before about you know the work kind of almost in a in a sense just beginning for Brandon Bean because hey it's great that you kept this team together and this team did, a lot of good things, and it's it's right uh, to want to bring a lot of those guys back. But again, how do you take that next step? How do you improve to be on the level of the Chiefs? To be on the level of the Bucs, who by the way handled handled the Chiefs pretty <laughs> pretty easily in the Super Bowl, right? Yeah. So it's not just getting by Kansas City, right? You know, the, again, we're, we're at a, just a different. You know, think about Pat when you started, even maybe doing this podcast, right? We're talking about the only goal for this franchise is the Super Bowl. It's that simple. I mean, it might have been make the playoffs, it might have been, oh gosh, can can they win a game in the playoffs? We know they can do all that now, right? We know that they're a, a very very good football team with a good coaching staff and a front office. But to be a truly great football team to me means that you're you're ending, you know, the the long history of Super Bowl failures in Buffalo. That is the challenge for this, for this franchise. And it's a monumental one, of, of course, but that's where, that's where they've brought this team to. And now it's maintaining it, uh, n- not just maintaining what they've done, but building on it. And, and that's not going to be easy. And, and particularly in a, in a cash strapped sort of down year with the, with the salary cap, it's, it's going to take some creativity on Brandon Bean's part.
2: The Bills did lose one of their own free agents on day one of free agency. Andre Roberts signed a two-year deal up to almost $5 million with Houston. And again, I think this is just a guy that you can only pay so many guys. I mean, he was here for Buffalo in two years and he made the Pro Bowl twice. I I don't know what more you could ask for from a kick returner. So that sucks losing him. But again, it's kind of the, the, the price of poker that's going on here. How about Yeah, he,
3: yeah, I think with Roberts just real quick. I mean, it it was kind of a luxury, right, to have a guy yeah. who was who was one dimensional as a returner. I mean, in that role as a as a fifth or a sixth receiver uh on this roster moving forward, I think you're going to need to do a couple of different things that's you're going to have to contribute offensively and be a returner it, it was nice to be able to have him but i think uh, again i think the, the best way to describe you know him on the roster the last couple of years was was sort of a luxury
2: yeah for sure now i i did hit on pass rush the bills were reported anyway the, the, it was reported that the bills were in on jj watt how much I, I don't know but they were in on him and that made me think that they're definitely going to be in the market for a significant defensive end and you look at day one again it doesn't I keep calling it a free agency just legal tap or whatever the hell you want to call it that market at least the top end of it is almost dried up already Jay I mean just yeah. today yeah. you got you got Shaq Barrett back to the bucks um you have what else have we got here I'm, I'm looking right now Carl Lawson that's a guy that the Bills talked about a lot or fans I should say he ended up with the Jets I'm gonna talk about the Jets in a second uh Trey Hendrickson literally just a few minutes ago as we're taping his signed a four-year deal with the Cincinnati Bengals. Bud Dupree's off the board. He went to Tennessee. Danico Autry is a guy that I've heard some chatter about, a, a second or third tier guy. He went also to Tennessee. So uh, Yannick Ngoi, I always mess his last name up. He went to the Raiders. A lot of good, talented bass rushers are, are gone already. I really have liked Carlos Dunlap. I remember him from that game last year against the Bills. The Bills put up 44 points on Seattle, but I remember him terrorizing Josh Allen. Anyway, he's out there, but there's, I don't know, man, the marquee defensive end, unless they pull off a trade or something. I mean, we saw last year, anything's possible, but I'm just, are you surprised that this many guys are going this fast or is this just kind of par for the course?
3: Yeah, no, you know, I'm not, I'm not really surprised. I mean, you know, edge rusher is a position that, you know, they're getting paid in free agency. It, It happens every year, I believe next to quarterback that. Uh, edge rusher, is, you know, defensive end uh, is the the second highest uh, franchise tag. So that that just goes to show how the position is valued in the NFL, whether, you know, you want to classify defensive end, outside linebacker, whatever. And the point is guys that get after the quarterback. Uh, so, yeah, I, I think free agency, once Matt Milano re-signed and then certainly once Darrell Williams uh, re-signed, it, it was pretty clear that the, the cap space needed to bring in one of these uh, marquee pass rushers was, was probably not going to be there. One guy that I've kind of kept an eye on that I'm really interested to see what happens with him is, uh, Hassan Redick from the, the Cardinals. Yeah. He is, uh, he had a really interesting career. He was drafted as a linebacker and, uh, it was a first round pick. He played inside linebacker and and really did not play well at all, uh, for Arizona for about three and a half years. And then finally in his fourth year, they move him to the edge and he just explodes. He's got seven and a half sacks over like the final four games. Um, and, and normally you might look at that and say, oh, well, the guy you know, kind of did a Drew Stafford, right, where he turned it on in a contract year. But everything I've kind of read about his season were, were, were that he he was a legit pass rusher. He really found something. And it's kind of intriguing to think about, a guy like that with Sean McDermott and Leslie Frazier, we know they value versatility. Uh, what might they be able to do with a player like that? I don't know. And it's again, he's a really tough one to to project in terms of what he would get on an a, uh, average annual basis, just because uh, his career has been so weirdly up and down. I mean, really, really down for quite a while, and then he just shoots up in in his uh, in his contract year. But the, you know, the Cardinals. They bring in J.J. Watt, who you you know you mentioned that the Bills had an interest in. They pay him big money, and then a guy like Hassan Reddick, who they were talking about maybe being a candidate for the franchise tag, he hits the open market. Uh, so that's the one guy in terms of the pass rush that I'm really kind of keeping an eye on. And then, but if he signs elsewhere, to your point, yeah, the top end of the market here has has really kind of draw you know dried up in a hurry. So then it becomes, are you rolling the dice with uh, maybe a, a veteran? or a guy coming off of an injury, maybe even a guy that's got, you know, the quote unquote character concerns who uh, for whatever reason, uh, you know, is looking for a new opportunity somewhere else. Or, you know, do you go to the draft and and look at, you know, number 30 overall, even in the first round, but, you know, you did just draft AJ Epinesa in the second round to play defensive end. And traditionally the draft kind of mirrors free agency in the sense that, the premier pass rushers, they're either getting paid early or they're getting drafted early, right? So I sure. don't know at number 30 if you're even going to be able to find an impact day one guy there. And even if you do draft one there, are you going to want to, you know, force him into the lineup early? Is that the best thing for his career? The Bills have have done a nice job, I think, of not doing that too often with their rookies. They they try not to, to – uh, rush them along. And and I think Epinesa is a, a great example of that. You know, at the beginning of this season, they kept Trent Murphy. Now you could argue that was the wrong call and I'd probably agree with you, but I think part of the reason that they did that was because they didn't want to rush A.J. Epinesa along. So yeah, where they, you know, I've said it a couple of times on this podcast, that's where the work begins for Brandon Bean. How do, How does he find this guy? Does he wait till that second or third wave of the free of free agency and then you're taking a chance on a guy who for whatever reason has, you know, not attracted a lot of interest around the league or do you think you can find somebody in the draft and can you wait until number 30 in the draft to find a, a guy who is going to make a meaningful impact for the pass rush because Sean McDermott again, you know, we go back to, you know, his end-of-season press conferences which uh, just a little side note on McDermott press conferences during the season, I find them to be passable. Okay. But I have found him the last couple of seasons after the year ends to really take a different tone and to be a lot more open than he is during the season. Yeah. And one of the things that he said this uh, at this one was that the four man pass rush wasn't good enough. So again, we know that that is a priority for this team to improve, so I, I definitely think that that is uh, um, very up high on the to do list. Still,
2: one guy that I didn't mention that's on that upper tier list is still out there is Jadavian Clowney. But again, he might be a guy that uh, financially doesn't fit into the the, the plans for this team. Um, quickly, just let's talk about a couple the teams in the division. I love what the Jets did today. They signed two guys that I like a lot: Corey Davis and Carl Lawson. And again, Carl Lawson was coveted by a lot of Bills fans and a lot of Bills podcasters and bloggers out there. So if you're listening, don't go turning the tide because he went to the Jets <laughs> and saying he was overpaid. You know how that works. John o Smith, everyone's overpaid and not worth the money once they sign with another team. That's not yeah. Buffalo. But anyway, Lawson and, and Corey Davis, man, I mean, he's got legit wide receiver one potential at least. I don't know, man. How do you feel about the Jets? Because look, Adam Gase to me was the biggest problem, not the only problem. They're just not good enough. But he was a big problem, and you got a new coach. You got, again, two good players right there at Quentin Williams. You got Sam Darnold, who's probably a trade chip. You got the second pick of the draft. You got a shitload of cap room. They they strike me as the kind of team where if they do things right, they can, I'm not going to go as far to say they can win a division. They're not going to win a division next year. But you see it every year, Jay. You cover the NFL, man. Teams go from worst to first all the time, or at least they go from, Third or fourth pick in the draft to be in a wild card team in one year. You see it all the time.
3: Yeah. I'm not saying the Jets yeah, are gonna be the, that. Yeah, team. I mean, I I think the big issue that I see with the Jets, I agree with you. I I think what they did in free agency, I think those guys can help them. Uh my you know, my only question, it's it's the question with the Jets. Who plays quarterback, right? What do they do? Do they do they trade Darnold to your point? Um And and I think maybe for, for all parties involved, that might be the best solution. You know, I think he could use a fresh start in his career. And I think the jets with, with bringing in a new head coach, I think it's fair to, to Robert Sala, Sala that they give him the opportunity to sort of handpick his quarterback, whoever that may be. Uh, the you know the the great thing for them is is picking at number 2 in a year that you know it looks like the 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 top of the the class is going to be dominated by quarterbacks again they're in a really good opportunity to kind of land their guy now that being said though a you know again captain obvious alert you got to hit on that pick you got to get the right guy and then b even if you do we've seen you know even for you know for good rookie quarterbacks you know a good quarterback or a good season for a rookie quarterback May still not end up in the team making the playoffs. Right, that that position does take a little bit of time to to develop. So yeah, if I were the Jets, I, I think that's what I would do. I, I'd trade Darnold for the best package, whether that's today or um, you know at, at you know shortly before the start of the draft. I, I'd get whatever I could for him, and then I'd scout the heck out of these quarterbacks and find two that I like because you know probably that Lawrence is going number one to Jacksonville, and then after that it's. Who do we like next? Uh, next best out of this class, whether that's Zach Wilson or or Trey Lance or or Mac Jones. I, I know that's probably a reach. I haven't seen many people uh, project him to be number two. But, yeah, uh, get the quarterback and then hope that, you know, the other pieces kind of bring him along. Right. You know, you, you saw a little bit of, of that with how the Bills kind of. Uh, Built around Josh Allen, you know, when you think back to 2017, right? They they add Tre'Davious White, Deion Dawkins, they signed Micah Hyde, they they signed Jordan Poyer, they they sort of added some pieces that they knew were going to fit long term, all while kind of angling their way toward drafting the quarterback who ended up being Josh Allen. So yeah, I think I think it's a good day if you're a Jets fan. I think you're looking at it and saying, hey, we made the team better, and we're in a pretty good spot, almost no matter what in April um, you know, again, depending on hitting on the, on the quarterback, which is, is much easier said than done.
2: Now the Patriots dominated the headlines on day one because they were very active. Again, John Smith is a guy that I liked a lot of bills fans liked, but you do. I mean, look, you got to look at the contract for four years, $50 million. That that's scary. 31 of that guaranteed, but then they signed Matthew Judon. It's all right. And then two receivers, Nelson Aguilar, Kendrick Bourne. I don't know, man. I'm Look, I, I am not that Bills fan who's going to bash every move New England makes. I've said all along, I think New England's going to be extremely aggressive. They're not going to lay down in 2021 basically like they did last year. Bill Belichick's too old for that shit. But, I mean, <laughs> they signed a defense, uh, Henry Anderson, who, of course, Bills fans hate him. Uh, Divine Gauchok, yeah. the DT from Miami, he's a good player. He might be actually one of the better signings. They're, I'm not saying they're a better team right now than they were yesterday, but they're certainly a different team. My point is they're not, this is not a team that's going to lay down again for a second straight year. And I'm, by the way, I don't know how you feel about it. Maybe I'm completely wrong. I'm not convinced that Cam Newton, despite signing that deal, I'm not convinced he's the, he's the answer there. Like he's going to be the guy under center. I think he might be potentially the starter, but I could also see him being the backup because his contract would allow for that. If they could swing and and get a Deshaun Watson or somebody else. I'm not saying that's going to happen, but yeah. I don't know, man. How well, do you feel about the Patriots think, right yeah. now?
3: Well, yeah, I mean, you throw a name like Deshaun Watson out there, and then that would that would really change things, wouldn't it? That would be that would be something. I think if you're the Bills, you're kind of holding your breath with with all three teams. Yeah, uh, quite frankly, right. in the division, I don't think you know? I
2: don't think New England is uh, the of those three teams. They probably have the least amount of assets to make that happen. But the Jets again, yeah. second pick. And I mean, we haven't even talked about Miami because Miami didn't really, Miami's been quiet late into the night anyway on Monday. But again, they got two first rounders. They got four picks in the top, what, 50? They got a lot of cap room. They haven't really done much yet. They're yeah. a team that concerns me. Like, they're, they're going to do something. And plus, out of these other three teams in the division, I mean, they're the team that last year was the biggest threat to the Bills. What would you do if you're uh what do you think they're thinking right now at quarterback? Like, do you think they're confident in Tua going forward? or do you think that they're really trying to make a big time push to get Deshaun Watson obviously getting Deshaun Watson would change the entire landscape of the AFC East
3: Oh yeah I mean I I I read my buddy uh, Tyler Dunn uh, on his website had a thing a few weeks ago about how the the Dolphins are the the logical trade partner for the for the Texans for Deshaun Watson and and I fully agree I think when you look at the the draft capital that they have uh they've built up a lot of it Funny enough, from Houston, right? Right. Uh, With the the trade that they had made, but yeah, I think that the if I'm the Dolphins, I'm calling the Texans every single day, saying, "What do we got to do to get this deal done?" There's a couple of reasons for that. Number one, I think Deshaun Watson is, uh, you know, he's an excellent quarterback that you know, almost goes without saying. But I'm not a believer in Tua at all. I don't think the guy's got elite arm talent. I think you need that to to win in the NFL for the most part. And I just didn't see it out of him at all last year. I I, I watched a lot of Dolphins games, particularly over the second half of the season, and I was not impressed uh, by Tua at all. And if you could swing a, a trade where Tua is part of it to Houston, uh, along with you know. Obviously, it's going to be multiple first round picks. I would do that in a heartbeat if I if I was Miami. You know, Deshaun Watson. It, it for some reason to me it feels like he's older than Josh Allen, like a lot older, and he's not. He's only a year older right. than Josh Allen. I think maybe it's just because you know he we've known of him for so long, even going back to Clemson and all of that. Uh, it's just maybe he's been on our minds for for longer. But yeah. Uh, To me, Miami is the, I think, the ideal trading partner for Houston. I think Houston is going to come to the realization sooner than later that they're going to have to make a move with Watson. And if, if that's the case, I think Miami makes a lot of sense because even if you don't like Tua and you say you don't want him, uh you've got the number three pick. That's that's probably gonna get you a quarterback, although you know you maybe want to get to number two. So you you have your choice if it's not Lawrence, uh, who we all think is going number one. But yeah, Miami, uh the, the Deshaun Watson factor looming over the AFC East, I think definitely has has got to be something that the Bills are thinking about a little bit. And yeah, I think Miami should be the team that's most aggressive, and I think they're the team that that makes the the best trade partner. And then you know to go back to New England for just for a second, you know, I, I'm kind of with you. I, I left, I left their moves Monday, feeling like they're chasing the Bills, <laughs> and what yeah. a weird, weird feeling that is to have, right? Because it felt like for so long what Bills fans did. Oh, maybe this is the guy that's going to help us get by Tom Brady finally. And instead, I'm um, you know I just go back to that Monday night beatdown that the Bills gave the the Patriots thinking how far has this rivalry, if you even want to call it that, for so long it wasn't a rivalry, but how far has the matchup between these two teams swung in favor of the Bills? I mean, that game looked like New England did not belong on the same field as Buffalo. And I don't know that what they did in free agency today narrows that gap. I think it narrows it, but I don't think it closes it by any means. I think that the Bills – are still a better football team than New England. and I think that New England is in a situation where they had a lot of money, they had and they wanted to spend it. but I don't know how much truly how much better they're going to be, particularly because their quarterback situation is so unsettled. And to your point, okay, if Cam isn't the starter, then my question is who is? Because where they're drafting, there's no guarantee one of those guys gets there. Maybe they make a move to swing up, but then again, you're back into that situation with a rookie quarterback, which I talked about with the Jets and and how that's a struggle for a team, no matter how good the rookie is usually. So, I, I think New England's better. I think some of the players uh, can help them maybe more so than others. I thought the Aguilar signing was terrible. That guy, I thought he was, uh, you know. Ask, ask Eagles fans what they think about Aguilar. I think the Judon signing, uh, I like him as a pass rusher. I think he'll help them. But, again, I, I don't think that the gap between New England and, and Buffalo is closed by any great stretch. I still think that the Bills are in control of the AFC East, and that hasn't changed after what happened today.
2: Yeah, I like Smith. I think he does have potential to become a star tight end, but the rest of that roster, I mean – you got a bunch of like number three or four wide receivers on that team. You know, was, I don't forget number one. I don't even think they got a number two receiver on this team right now. There's just a bunch of threes and fours. And I'm I'm just not a I'm not a fan of Cam Newton as a passer. I'm telling you, man. I watched a lot of Patriots games last year. They would mail it in third and nine. They yeah. they'd run the ball or run some kind of option. Yeah. Is he going to get better at throwing the ball with these weapons? I don't see it. And you're probably right in terms of a veteran coming in just to, to, to take over and, and start ahead of because Ken not. I mean, obviously Jimmy Garoppolo is a name that is easy to connect. But yeah, I mean, Sam Darnold obviously would never get traded within the division. Eh, I don't know, man. I just, my point was, I don't, they're, I agree with you. They're not in the Bills class right now, but they're not laying down this year either. Like, and I also don't think they're done. I could see them going out and making some more moves too. So uh, we'll see what happens. One more question, then I'm going to let you go. Actually, I mean, I just saw a statement. I'm kind of looking at Twitter as I'm talking to you. So we were talking Sabres at the top here. I didn't even know this until just now. The Sabres have been shut out in four of their last five home games. Four times in five home games they've yet they they couldn't even score one goal, man. God, that's
3: so terrible. God. It's yeah. Oh. Yeah. It's uh, again, they just sort of, I said for a long time that the bills invented new ways to lose the Sabres have sort of invented new ways to infuriate their fan base. <laughs> yeah,
2: it's just ridiculous. That's not the question I have here. I want to swing back to football for this. You don't have to give me a specific player because that's almost impossible, but over the next, maybe Tuesday, maybe overnight tonight, who knows Hell, hell over the next couple of days, what's one thing that you think the bills are going to do that, I'm a, I don't know if it's going to necessarily excite fans, but give me a move that you see the Bills making. It doesn't necessarily have to be for a player. Maybe it's a position, something that you see them doing that's uh, going to be notable, something worth writing about, something worth talking about.
3: Sure. Yeah. You know, I mean, again, I, I, I go back to these end of season press conferences with Bean and McDermott and being uh, was about as blunt as you'll hear a general manager be about the play at tight end uh, and how it wasn't, uh, what they needed from the position. And, you know, you hear so much about Zach Ertz uh, in Philadelphia being being on the trade block or, or potentially being cut if he isn't traded. Uh, you know, if, I think if you're the Bills, it, it makes a lot of sense to to send a, a late-round draft pick to Philadelphia to ensure you get your guy at that position. I think that answers a lot of questions uh, about this offseason for this team if they're able to to acquire him. And, you know, you when you look at the market at tight end with – uh, what John U. Smith got uh, in uh, New England, and then uh, obviously Gronk re-signing uh, down in Tampa. Uh, it, it, side note on Gronk, it, I'm blown away at how many Bills fans say they don't want Rob Gronkowski, but uh, I guess we can get to that on another podcast. I mean, the guy's like only the greatest tight end of all time.
2: That, because uh, of a cheap shot. It, it, that's that's I, stupid. That's ridiculous. I promise you right I, now, I, I, Trey White would be the first person to campaign to have Gronk come to Buffalo, and he's the one who gave, you know, he's the one who got, the the cheap shot from Croc. I don't want it. That's ridiculous.
3: I, it's it's crazy. I mean, and how long ago was that one? And then two. I mean, that's not Rob Gronkowski in his entire career. The guy's right. never been thought. Yeah, I know it was a dirty play. It was bad. It, absolutely, it, it looked bad and it was bad. But I mean, that's not who the guy is uh, for the entirety of his career. But anyway, uh, it's 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 a moot point now because he signed back in Tampa. But anyway, I so I, I, Gronk to me was the one fun name that I that I liked considering. But uh, the point being though is that upgrading tight end is a is a uh, a stated goal of Brandon Bean and you know let's you know, the way that this offseason has played out these guys have been honest they've been up front about what they want to do so uh, I, I think you know you want to call it a bold prediction I, I don't even think it's really that bold but yeah I could see them making a move uh, for a player like Zach Ertz. I think he answers a lot of questions for this team uh, that that's something that they, they would want to pursue here over the next couple of days or, or week or so
2: I'm going to go with and this is kind of going back to a point that you said earlier during this conversation, I'm not going to say Kenny Galladay or, or Juju Smith Schuster, because they will be the term will be way too much. I think the bills are going to find a relatively significant wide receiver in free agency for this season, because look, this is a wide receiver centric offense. And I agree with every single thing you said about tight end. And that stuck out to me, everything Brandon Bean said during his presser, the tight end, Stuck out to me the most, how basically they, they weren't a threat. No defense was scared of them. So I look at those names and they're like, nah. But Curtis, Curtis Samuel is a name that I've had my eye on. And if you want to talk about like one of those maybe prove it deals, second tier, Will Fuller has all the talent on earth. Duke can't stay healthy for more than five or six games a season. And that seems to be the problem. But he can get downfield. He can make big plays. I think the Bills are going, I don't know who, I don't want to throw out a name, but I think the Bills are going to either sign or maybe even trade who knows for a, a significant receiver. I just don't, I'm not good yet with Gabe Davis being the number two yet. So I think the bills are going to do something.
3: I'll throw another name out You just as I'm scrolling through the list here and I've written it a little bit before, but I, I, the more I think about it, the more I kind of, the, the fit intrigues me. What do you think about a guy named Richard Sherman? What would that do for you at at number two cornerback? Yeah, that
2: would be good. That's an Again, we haven't even talked. We've barely even talked cornerback right now. That might be their arguably their 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 biggest hole right now, or at least where they lack any kind of veteran depth is that corner right now, for sure.
3: Well, you know, it's fit into their mo here over the last three seasons. They have signed uh, veterans to one year deals. Josh Norman being one of them. Kevin Johnson before that, and then Phillip Gaines before that too. So we we've seen a track record where that's the move that they they like to bring in. A veteran to to sort of fill that number two cornerback role. I I don't know. Sherman may still be out of their price range, um, but to me, that's kind of an intriguing fit, particularly for a guy who I think would add a lot to the locker room. And you know, if he wants to, you know, you know, call it chase whatever. If he wants to chase another ring, I think the Bills would give him that opportunity. I mean, he saw firsthand. Uh, with the 49ers this past season, I thought, you know, arguably that was Josh Allen's best game against San Francisco. So Richard Sherman's got a pretty good idea uh, of what kind of quarterback the Bills have here. I wonder, you know, I wonder if Brandon Bean made a call just how interested he'd be in Buffalo.
2: Yeah, that that's a good one. Well, it's going to be an interesting week, an interesting couple weeks leading up to the draft. Hopefully, he has some cool shit to write about. That's probably <laughs> all you care about at this point are some good stories to, to be able to tell people, which I'm sure you will. I- but anyway.
3: Anyway. And I, Hey, I need to pick a bone with you too, before you Uh-oh. go. Uh-oh. Um, what's up? what Yeah. On Facebook. And you didn't answer me on Facebook. That's fine. Whatever. What, what's the problem with Dave Matthews band? Why are they in your <laughs> top five overrated, overrated bands?
2: bands of all time?
3: Yeah. Yes.
2: I don't. All right. You know what? I don't Person. I don't hate them personally. I hate that all my friends like them so much. Honestly, okay. all my friends, every didn't he come to like during Lake like every year.
3: For, oh yeah. But those are great. Ah, so
2: much fun. That's all I had to hear about was Dave Matthews from all my <laughs> friends, man. I don't know. He, he maybe he is a good musician. I what was he? he? was in a movie with Adam Sandler and Jennifer Anderson. I actually thought that was pretty was pretty funny in that. I don't know, man. You not know, I don't, I don't I don't I stand by it. I still say they're overrated, but they're overrated, not because I think they're garbage or their music's garbage. <laughs> they're overrated because that's all my friends ever freaking talked about. <laughs> and, I and I got sick of hearing. Well, pill.
3: I mean, I get okay. Then I, I mean, that's fine. But it that that doesn't sound like a real, real great reason to me. If I'm being honest, because I mean, I I, I had to <laughs> I had to pick the bone with you. I was like, you know, that's I, fair. I, I just don't. And you're not the only one. I I see it all the time. And I, maybe I just don't want to let go of like you know high school and college years. And I still like like to like hang on to those memories. But. Man, I love Dave Matthews. I love going to their concerts. I think he's a super talented, really kind of eclectic musician. I don't know man i i and you're not the only one who see who says Dave Matthews is overrated, and I just don't see it like I feel like <laughs> feel like the guy's super talented. I just don't get the hate, but uh, all right I just well, want, well listen I wanna an answer. I
2: admire your passion because it's pretty well documented. me and John World don't really get along so well uh on Twitter. We've won <laughs> at it I, I, honestly, half the time. I'm dicking around with him. and I don't think he's being over. Well, actually, he probably is because he doesn't know how to have a sense of humor. But anyway, the one time I do get serious with him is when he disses Toto. Toto is my shit from the 80s, man. Africa, Rosanna, uh, I could go on and on. I love Toto. Yeah. And John calls them overrated and trash. And that actually legitimately pisses me off. So as you were saying that, I'm thinking in my mind, you know what? I think Jay's actually a little bit annoyed with me for real. Because <laughs> you have a passion for Dave Matthews Band,
3: I had that same no, passion. No, I just wanted an explanation. Listen, I and I, I, I bet I bet John would probably say Dave Matthews Band is overrated too, and you know he and I can disagree about that uh, some other time. But no, you know, listen, music is uh, such a subjective thing sure. that you can't ever really get too worked up about anybody's opinion about it. But I did want to know just you know what was the justification for it, what was the reasoning for it, because it's it's so funny, right? Like you said, you know, there's a band that you love. And when somebody else doesn't love it, you're like, man, what don't they see? You know what I mean? So yeah, that's, that's just, that's kind of where I landed on Dave Matthews. That's, that's all
2: fair. And admittedly, my reasoning is, is kind of stupid because other people <laughs> like him so much that makes me not like him. That's kind of ridiculous. But anyway, I, I apologize to you, Jay. <laughs>
3: yeah, you're all good, man. You're all good.
2: All right. Everyone give Jay a follow on Twitter at Jay Skirsky. Of course, check out his work. Buffalo news always does a great job. And I love having you on the podcast, man. It' God, an hour and 20 minutes. Don't even feel like it to me, man. I love talking to you, bro. Thanks for coming on.
3: Hey, thanks for having me. You know, I I, I do as well. Anytime. Uh, lo- love talking bills with you. Love talking Buffalo with you or anything. So happy to do it. And, and thanks for, as always, for having me.
2: All right, boys and girls, that is going to do it for today's episode. One more time, very big thank you, Jay Skirsky from the Buffalo News. One of the OGs of this podcast. One of the very first guests I've ever had on this show. Always an honor to have Jay on, shoot the shit with him. One of my favorites. So thank you very much, Jay. Coming up on Friday's show, Dell Reed, 26 shirts. It's Dell Fridays. I got Dell on the podcast every Friday for at least the foreseeable future, anyway. So look forward to that on Friday. And, guys, girls, if you have not yet subscribed to this podcast, please go ahead and do that right now. So, as of many of you know, I switched to Blue Wire Pods. I'm part of a new network. And I've heard of at least a couple stories here and there of people that used to be subscribed. And for whatever reason, they're not anymore. So, anyway, just go check that out Apple, Spotify, Google, Amazon, wherever the hell you listen to your podcast we are there just make sure you hit subscribe and then brand new episodes will get sent directly to your phone or your laptop your your ipad whatever it is that you use because again we had tuesday friday shows but i'm starting to incorporate some bonus episodes so you never know when we're going to drop a fresh one man make sure you subscribe of course follow me on twitter Moran tweets and i'm going to end the same way i always do and that is thanking you so so much for listening I know how many shows there are out there. Great podcast. The competition is fierce. And when you're locked into this one, 30 minutes, 45 minutes, 60 minutes, whatever, I can't tell you how much it means to me. I'm so humble and appreciative. So thank you very, very much. Have a good week. Stay safe. And I'll be back. Del Reed, brand new episode on Friday.